education is changing, and so is the world of work. But are educators keeping pace? It's an important question, right? Teachers are often strong, formative influences in our development. They're also, dare I say, subject to more flack than is often due, and a lot of flack. But it is a very, very influential and critical time for all of us, so it's only natural we have emotional feelings towards the experience. You know, when I thought it would be fascinating to hear their side of the story, only one name came to mind. Padma Kumar MM heads the Media Studies Department at Christ University, one of India's leading private universities. An educator for 16 years, he has an astute sense of the benefits of the education system and its limitations. When I met Padma Kumar as part of his efforts to give students to industry professionals, I had an interest in teaching, but he helped give me a shot at teaching and really built my confidence in the idea that working in education, working with students can be a special, special experience. Padma Kumar is a key figure in my development as a person. In my work with students at Christ, I realized he was a key figure for several others in various capacities. His openness to being at the podcast, fully knowing my style of questioning and appetite for the uncomfortable is a testament to his quest for personal growth and adventure. Honestly, this conversation ranks among my favorites on the podcast and outside of it, and I believe you'll enjoy it just as much as I did. Enjoy this conversation with Padma Kumar. One life, D- different roads, different roads. One finale. What's this malarkey about anyway? Well, here's the deal. No one has the game figured out, and everyone's slicing the pie their own way. Welcome to the Maximum Project, where we find out how you can hack it the way you were meant to. Step into the unknown with confidence as we speak to all sorts to get the inside scoop on what makes them tick. Chats, chats. Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Maximum Project. Thank you for showing up. Today I have a very special guest. Uh, as I said before, I'm very pleased to have the opportunity to speak with people who I've had great conversations with. And it's not often you encounter someone you have an equal amount of respect and fondness for. And today's guest, uh, Mr. Padma Kumar, who is the head of the Department of Media Studies at Christ College in Bangalore, Christ University in Bangalore, uh, is one such person. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for that warm and generous introduction, um, Adarsh. And I think I have uh, greater respect and fondness for you than probably what you might have for me. But uh, yeah, uh, it's great to be here. And I love to uh, interact with you always. And uh, today is uh, yet another opportunity for us to interact. Yeah, I'm very pleased uh, that you agreed to be on. In fact, I was pleasantly surprised that when I asked you, you were quite quick to agree to be on. So I'm, I'm grateful for you being here. Thank you. Yeah, so as I was mentioning, uh, uh, I had more confidence in your call uh, than mine. And uh, I always <laughs> believe that uh, you are someone who is very professional and you're very organized. And if you're taking a call, uh, you would have thought about it quite well. And so without even thinking, I readily agreed, primarily because of uh, the trust in your call. And apart from that, as I mentioned, it's also an adventure and I would love to have this sort of an adventure, of course. Yeah, no, I'm glad to hear that. And in fact, it was a very straightforward decision for me. Um, You know, I would have asked you to come on sooner, but I did want a body of work before that happened. And uh, given that you've listened to some episodes, uh, I'm glad that you have a sense of how these conversations go. 
A couple of reasons why I wanted to have you on. I think one is the shift in the way the world of work is changing and the understanding of education is changing. So that's one part, um, the effectiveness of education and to speak to you as an educator. But at the same time, I also find you as a deep thinker, you have an interest in philosophy. And I also want to understand with you and explore with you the context in which we currently exist and how much it actually furthers the foundations of education. You know, um, and obviously, most importantly, I, I want to get to know the person behind uh, the head of the department and and what got you here. So I'm really looking forward to this chat. And Same yeah, and I hope you are too. Excellent. Okay, I'm going to start with something quite open ended. But you know, we've, we've had these conversations before, where we talk about compliance and education, we talk about qualification. But in the literal sense of the word, as an educator, what to you does it mean to be educated? And please feel free to be as specific or open as you like. Okay. So there's a big question to answer. And uh, obviously, we would uh, understand uh, that schooling is not necessarily education, right? And so education means something more. And uh, to me, uh, an educated person should have certain set of qualities. One, of course, the person should be competent uh, in whatever uh, the person has chosen to specialize in. They should have a set of skill sets, uh, a body of knowledge which they can call to be their base uh, to launch themselves into that particular field. And uh, of course, uh, uh, a learnability. I mean, they should be open to learn and update themselves as and when there is a requirement. And that learnability is a very important factor for the 21st century. Gone are those days when uh, people could uh, just uh, go ahead with what they learned in school and college and use it for uh, decades together. Uh, today, the notion of knowledge, uh, which is today, uh, is not going to be the one that is tomorrow. And there is a rapid change. And I'm sure uh, you're sensing it in your field and sensed in almost all the fields that we are part of. And so uh, one needs to be uh, having this lifelong learning as an uh, attitude. And that's important. And apart from that, uh, uh, I consider that uh, one should have basic life skills. And uh, that's something that is less stressed about in our time. And we become too dependent on uh, the industries that are out there. But uh, life skills is something that one has to consider. And then an openness to engage with ideas that are unpalatable. And most often, uh, uh, we are trained to believe that there is a singularity of uh, understanding about what is knowledge, what is truth, and all that. But uh, the world is plural in many ways. And uh, one should have that openness to engage with ideas, even when one doesn't uh, feel like agreeing with it. So uh, these are some of my preliminary thoughts. And uh, of course, uh, social consciousness, that's a very important thing as well. An educated person should be able to think beyond one's own self. And education should be a process of expanding oneself. Uh, that is, uh, moving from one concentric circle to another. Uh, are we able to think about uh, the well-being of uh, all beings uh, is an important question for us to engage with. Uh, for instance, um, if I could just be a little anecdotal, uh, I had gone to a restaurant uh, two days ago with one of my friends, and uh, they were uh, serving us. Uh, we had ordered parathas or something, and uh, they brought it in a, a neatly packed uh, container. And uh, it, it had a cardboard container for the parathas. And they also gave us a small sachets of uh, mango chutney and then tomato chutney and some other chutney. And it was all in small sachets. I just couldn't understand why they would pollute the world with these kind of things just for one meal that I've come in for. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I, I would eat and go, but that plastic would stay for almost ever. True. Right. And uh, that packaging was unnecessary. They could use utensils which could be washed and reused. 
and mm -hmm. I'm not the only person. There would be thousands of people who would be coming uh, in a month's time. And look at the amount of waste generation uh, that is being done. I wouldn't want any of my students to be indulging in any of uh, such uh, work or career context. They should be conscious of uh, uh, their actions. Uh, what is the uh, consequence of their action is something that they should be thinking about. So these are some of the uh, set of understandings I have about uh, an educated uh, person. Yeah. I think that's just really valuable um, what you said. You've given us so much to reflect on. And like you said, I think that conversation could go on for so long. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we, we had a short conversation yesterday before the technical issues pushed us to uh, postpone. But even yesterday, right, I said right. the same thing. Um, oh, well, that's fine. I think, you know, it was uh, expected from these things you just prepare for in this world. So it's perfectly okay. I'm glad you made time today. But, you know, it's more about critical thinking, competence, consciousness, right. social responsibility. Right. So that is the view that is quite important. And I do want to talk about that with you okay. uh, shortly in the episode. Sure. But I want to spend a little time on mm -hmm. understanding the effectiveness of this in the Indian context for a moment. And mm -hmm. um, if you can spend a few minutes doing that, that'd be nice. And I want yeah. to start with the part about the singular view of the world, right? Mm -hmm. We talk the ability to hold multiple thoughts, hold opposing thoughts in some cases. Now, in an environment where that could not just be frowned upon, but potentially be dangerous, yeah. how do we, or how do you, in the, as a media studies department and, and a head of that department, yeah. encourage students to, one, explore their mind in a safe space, which is what the university offers, Absolutely. while at the same time being cognizant of the threats of exploring it outside of it? Yeah. How do you help strike that balance? Okay. So one of the conscious things that we did in the Department of Media Studies uh, where I am uh, working uh, is to introduce our students to critical thinking. Uh, as you have also come across, uh, critical mm -hmm. thinking is an integral part of a curriculum. And almost all of our students have some exposure to critical thinking uh, as part of the curriculum. And over there, uh, we train our students to uh, how to think. It's not about telling them this is what you need to think about. Uh, it's also about telling them how to think. So they can think on their own. We present them issues to contest with. Uh, mm -hmm. We have a lot of more ethical challenges out there. Uh, most often uh, we are trained to be indifferent to those challenges, unfortunately. But then uh, we uh, raise their social consciousness and we prompt them to engage with them deeply and then take their own stance. Uh, some of us might take stance as teachers and tell them that this is my position, but we never impose. Uh, on the other hand, we also uh, are... Uh, having some of the faculty who uh, present uh, the uh, things on the, put everything on the table and ask the people to uh, uh, make the decisions based on their own uh, journey of thought. So those are things that we do. Uh, yes, uh, you were also asking about how does it play out within the classroom context and the outside world context, right? So there is uh, definitely a right. conflict. Classroom could be a microcosm of the world at some level, that's true. But on the other mm -hmm. hand, uh, uh, the world is not so understanding. Uh, the world need not be courteous. Uh, the world need not be agreeing uh, with uh, the uh, kind of worldviews that I have. And uh, that's very viscerally felt in today's context because the uh, political climate uh, and the economic context that we are all a part of. And that's sad. And uh, we also try to equip them uh, at some level. Uh, it's not something that we can be completely convinced about, but we do uh, tell them that uh, uh, there are people uh, who are going to uh, strongly challenge you not just uh, in terms of thought, but in terms of uh, other kinds of uh, mechanisms. 
and one ought to expect that, but yet retain one's sense of calm and uh, have the resolve to put forth one's ideas. So, uh, for mm-hmm. example, uh, as a student of journalism, uh, we expect them to uh, have definitely sense in what they are conveying uh, and do it with sensitivity and also exercise that uh, very rarely used uh, part of our body, the spine. Uh, and so they need to. Uh, I mean, I mean, uh, I, I'm afraid that we might uh, lose it, uh, lose its uh, uh, efficiency in a country like India. But then I hope uh, they realize that sense, sensitivity, and uh, exercising one's spine uh, in crisis context uh, is important. And so uh, we try to prepare uh, them, but it's still a world out there which has its own huge set of challenges which they need to confront. Yeah, no, I think so. I, I think especially with the clear collective cultural challenges we face, specifically with regards to almost a you know monopolizing framework of thought, it, it can be difficult. But I think it's a valuable challenge that we're fighting. Before I get into specific issues about education itself, I think it's so important to understand how people arrived at what they have versus just where they have arrived is it's equally important. And that's what I want to do in this short conversation with you as well, yeah. is understand your journey to becoming an educator. So would you describe for me this path, how you started and how you ended up in the position you're in? Okay. So I have had uh, uh, some seminal influences, which has uh, made me what I am today. And uh, it's, it's a good opportunity for me to trace that uh, and take that jog down the memory lane. Um, so one, of course, is my dad. Uh, as I've told you in other contexts, my dad happens to be a teacher of English and someone who had a fascination for uh, language as such. And so um, he is passionate about Tamil language, the cultural context in which uh, I grew up. And so uh, he used to go for this Patti Mandabams, which is actually a debating club. And uh, mm-hmm. in Tamil Nadu, uh, that's a very common kind of a tradition. Uh, culturally, uh, it is a very common, uh, uh, I mean, pa- part of the cultural fabric of Tamil Nadu, I would say. And right. uh, even, uh, even on uh, festive occasions, they would hold this. Uh, and uh, that's an occasion for people to debate about some social issues, cultural issues, uh, about spiritual concerns, religious concerns and all that. And there is a moderator who tends to look into uh, the positions taken by members from both uh, sides of uh, an argument and then uh, gives uh, some kind of a verdict. Uh, I mean, uh, Sometimes they might be used to reinforce uh, certain stereotypes that say, but then the very act of debating was something that uh, uh, enthused me. And uh, my dad uh, gave me the opportunity to accompany him whenever he went. And so I was exposed to these sort of things and uh, they had uh, some kind of several influence on me. So that was one. And then uh, during my 11th standard, if I'm not mistaken, uh, I was performing uh, uh, pathetically in my academics and uh, my dad was uh, terribly upset and uh, he spoke to my class teacher and was trying to find out what was happening to me and it was in a boarding school and so uh, he was wanting to uh, know what are my aspirations and all that because he didn't feel like directly asking me so he came through my uh, class teacher and uh, my class teacher uh, was wanting to listen rather than say this is what is happening uh, to me and uh, in the conversation, uh, my dad seems to have told my class teacher, uh, who was, happens to be an English teacher, uh, that um, I'm, he fears that I might get into uh, English literature uh, for right. uh, uh, my higher education. 
And my class teacher later told me that this is what your dad is fearing about. And that gave me clarity about what I ought to do. So until then, I was unclear. But because my dad told me not to do that uh, in an indirect way, uh, I got my clarity that that's what I ought to pursue. So this is another uh, important seminal influence. And uh, why, was he, why was he, why was he uh, uh, skeptic about the choice? What was it? Was the job prospects? Uh, good question. And thank you. Uh, thank you for asking that. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, you and me are part of a generation where we were uh, made to believe that uh, the best life that one could possibly have uh, is that of uh, getting into medicine, uh, the field of medicine or uh, the field of engineering and thriving over there. Right. Uh, but uh, that was something that never appealed to me uh, because uh, I, I didn't want to be a rat in a rat race. Uh, I always felt that uh, there is some sort of a search that I have, though I was not clear about it. I need to pursue that. And uh, so uh, I, I switched off in many of my uh, max classes, science classes, um, because it, it felt uh, as though it was uh, uh, something that was being imposed upon me and I didn't uh, get a clarity about uh, why am I doing this? So that why question was something uh, that was uh, haunting me in different ways. And so I was having that search. I, I was uh, obviously, uh, someone who seemed to be very lost and confused at that particular stage. But uh, over the years, I have figured it out that uh, that was an important question that has shaped me. Uh, and uh, I've tried to understand that my search is different. Uh, I would like to uh, be more connected with people. I would like to uh, understand why there are inequities in our society. I would like to understand how the world could be a better place and what I could do towards that. So. Uh, my worldviews were getting shaped that way. And so probably these are the set of things that I could present at this stage. Yeah. Okay. And and what were you, what were you like as a child? I mean, you know, there is obviously the nurture nature debate, right? And yeah, a lot of yeah, levels. Yeah. And some people think it's either tabula rasa, others think we're not. But um, yeah. what is your earliest memory as a child? Huh. I, I, I see. Uh, I used to be uh, someone who used to love uh, sports as such. And uh, you know, this uh, OCD that we have in the uh, country, uh, the obsessive cricket uh, disorder uh, that uh, yeah. we have in our uh, country. <laughs> and so uh, I was yet another uh, person who uh, had this aspiration of turning to the next Sachin Telkar and so on and so forth. Uh, but obviously, uh, those are uh, grand uh, empty dreams. Uh, that are invested in us in some way or the other through this consumerist culture. And so uh, I, I cherish that uh, that particular part. And uh, mm -hmm. uh, it's not just that. I mean, it's not just watching and playing cricket. I also started reading about cricket. And that mm -hmm. reading uh, is something that helped me uh, to uh, develop uh, more love uh, for uh, reading. And uh, I started expanding my reading habit. And uh, that, that has... Uh, also helped me uh, to become what I've uh, become. So that love for reading did start with cricket and cricket uh, reading. Uh, but then obviously uh, one is exposed to more and more uh, things. And I, I started consciously diversifying my reading habits. And so uh, it has probably led me to where I am based yeah. on uh, what I did then. Yeah. Do you remember the first cricket book you read? Uh, yeah, I guess it was uh, Guha's uh, Cricket in the Corner of a Foreign Field. Uh, I mean, Sports Star was the first one that I started with, and uh, mm -hmm. I used to uh, uh, relish uh, reading uh, every edition of uh, Sports Star almost uh, cover to cover. Uh, that's how I used to uh, be following. And as though uh, that wouldn't suffice, uh, I would uh, look for the Hindu uh, 
the next day and uh, there used to be the sports uh, journalist named, uh, named Nirmal Shekhar and uh, his yes, writing was yes, literature. Yes. I mean, uh, he was uh, uh, he was a very powerful influence. And then I was also introduced to Rohit Prajnath, uh, another uh, excellent writer. And uh, so uh, those were people uh, who had a charm uh, in their uh, writing and uh, were able to uh, almost magnetically pull us uh, to uh, their uh, writing and uh, uh, and it, it is not just cricket that we are talking about. They were obviously talking about many other things, about life at large. They were talking about um, how to deal with crisis. They were talking about uh, uh, how to uh, celebrate the body, uh, how to uh, look at the body and the mind. Uh, there were many, many other things that were coming through their writing. And I enjoyed all of that. Yeah. I think that's one of the most attractive things about cricket. I always maintain that I've had three parents, uh, two biological and one psychological, and cricket has been the third. And Oh, at the okay. risk of sounding trite, I think it's the most important one. I think there's so many yeah. life lessons to gain because uh, just the act of accepting a rule that's not in your favor, that's yeah, unfair in the yeah. outside world with grace. I mean, you could right. train for an entire season and be Absolutely. out like before wicked first ball for a bad decision and that's your career done. Mm-hmm. You can still be fined for dissent and that's out of respect. And I think there is something to be learned from that. Yeah, um, yeah it ties and back fact, to your earlier uh, point. Yeah, and in fact, uh, you know, I, I used to make friends uh, quite easily because of cricket. I mean, uh, I would find, I would land up in some random area and I would find a set of people playing. I would be waiting in the boundary line and seeing what's happening. And I would wait for the ball to come. And the moment the ball used to come, uh, I'll pick it up and then throw it back to them. And they would get the sense that this boy is wanting to play with us. And they will call at some point and I'll immediately strike friendship with all of them. And so uh, it has happened wonderfully well with uh, many contexts. And in fact, cricket has helped me to socialize. And probably the introvert in me uh, became an extrovert because of cricket, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. I think sport has a beautiful uh, power to be able to create those sort of connections. True. And, you know, so you go into literature, um, much to the chagrin of your father. But then mm-hmm. what happens after? You do a degree in literature? Yeah, so I did a, uh, an undergraduation program in English literature. And after that, um, I was being told by my friends and colleagues and uh, sorry, uh, teachers and many others that uh, literature is good to uh, lay as a foundation, but uh, for a profession, I need to move into other uh, sector and so, uh, sectors. And so uh, mass communication uh, seemed to be the one that seemed to uh, uh, give space for me to express myself. And so uh, I... Uh, went for a post-graduation mass communication and I did uh, get into that. I was working with Deccan Chronicle following that and uh, I was once again pulled by the uh, love for literature and I had gone to uh, English and Foreign Language University for an MA in English. There was a second postgraduate program that I had applied for and in the first month I had uh, encountered a professor named uh, Dr. Ashok and uh, he was almost an intellectual rock star and uh, in one of his early classes uh, he was mentioning how uh, I mean, he was talking about uh, Walt Whitman and uh, somewhere he was uh, in that particular context uh, coming up with a statement that uh, what, what are impossibilities for journalism are peanuts for literature and that uh, floored me uh, and so uh, I felt that uh, what am I doing with this journalistic job, I should get back to uh, uh, literature and so I quit my journalistic uh, career and uh, I got into uh, full-time uh, I mean English and so uh, th- that was another transition point but I realized that uh, I can uh, juggle 
both. Uh, and and that, that's how uh, my uh, present uh, context of working is at least uh, shaped, yeah. Okay. And did you start your career as uh, uh, in, in education? Did you, is that what you started your career doing? Okay. So that was not a choice, actually. I mean, uh, it, it was an accident. Oh, right. uh, yeah. So uh, I had a, a very uh, caring and concerned friend of mine named Arvind Bhatt. And he used to, uh, he, he was from Mangalore and uh, he was a year junior to me uh, at uh, English and Foreign Language University. And I was nursing ambitions of getting into travel writing. And uh, I was applying to travel plus a traveler, this and that, and hoping that uh, somebody would call me and all that. This was almost two months after my uh, exams got done, my final semester mm -hmm. uh, PG, I mean, English exams got done. And uh, he told me that, uh, why don't you give you uh, my resume? I'll, I'll do uh, a few other things for you. And I just uh, gave him and uh, he had passed it on and it had come to uh, the people uh, in the university where I'm working now. And uh, so uh, they called me and I thought, uh, why not just go and attend and see what happens. And uh, I came for the interview and I got uh, got that cleared on the very same day I was asked to teach. And so that's how my <laughs> career uh, started. And it was not clearly thought out that way, but it happened that way. And interestingly, uh, some of my classmates of my uh, postgraduate days uh, tell me now that uh, we always knew that you were uh, bound to get into teaching, uh, which I oh, was not conscious of. And so that's an interesting thing uh, for me now. Yeah. And you've been there for how many years now? Uh, okay, almost donkey years, uh, 16, <laughs> 15, 16 years now. Yeah, it's yeah. incredible. So I, I'm happy that uh, my uh, teaching career uh, is younger than uh, the students in my uh, class. So that's where it is. Yeah. That's what it's at, at least for the next yeah. few years, I think yeah. the next yeah, five, yeah, six years, yeah. you have for that opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, you, made, you made a very valuable point earlier. We talked about how your friends had a sense that you'd always be suited for teaching, even though you hadn't thought about it yourself at the point at the time. Mm -hmm. And I do think sometimes watching how others observe us can be very mm -hmm. insightful to our own abilities. I mean, when I first met you and that was at a panel discussion, you know, as a last minute edition and we had a short conversation after where I expressed yeah, my yeah. interest in teaching. I yeah. knew I had a desire to teach, but I didn't know if I had the aptitude. I knew I had the intent as well. Mm -hmm. um, I felt that after we spoke, you got in touch and I almost felt uh, you know, more confident because of your conviction as well, that I could, uh, I was at least good enough to give it a shot. You know, I'd never you imagined my hit, actually. Uh, you had instant <laughs> hit and uh, students uh, loved the kind of contribution that you were making in the class. Uh, I mean, first of all, in that particular panel discussion and following that in the class. And uh, I always used to get a very uh, good uh, response from the class about your uh, how you tend to uh, make very professional and uh, apart from that, the value addition that you're making as a teacher. And uh, I also know that you went beyond your role and uh, where and you were taking care of some students in terms of their mental well-being in the ways, in whatever ways uh, you could uh, be of help to them. Yeah. So mm -hmm. uh, I need to acknowledge that. Yeah. Oh, that's that's very kind. Thank you. That you 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 left me speechless on my own podcast for a second. I'm a little overwhelmed. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, sometimes Thank you. could be doing that. Yeah, I mean, it's possible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's really nice to hear because you know. Um, anyway, I'm going to revisit this with you in a conversation outside of this. But thank you. Um, so coming back to my point about how how people observe us can be more insightful. So I want to get a sense of you know the two specific audience groups that I want to talk about, which is that you primarily handle. It's on one hand lecturers and teachers. On the other hand, it's the students. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, there are obviously other responsibilities to boards and all of those other formalities, which we'll right. cover if you if you need to. But more importantly, I think I want to focus on the education side of things. Mm-hmm. You know, you talked about the changing context. You talked about the challenges people are facing now. Mm-hmm. And it also means that educators have so much to keep up with, you know, mm-hmm. changing rapidly in an environment sometimes not conducive to that kind of change, right? Yeah. So... Before I get into what makes an effective teacher, I would want to talk to you about what are the challenges teachers face? A lot of the feedback is, you know, students think teachers not involved, the classroom sizes are too big, assignment deadlines are too tight, there's rigidity in the system, but what are the real challenges teachers face today when doing their job? Okay. So, uh, I mean, uh, it was an excellent uh listing of uh, some of the challenges that uh, teachers across the country and perhaps the world uh, tend to face. Uh, I would like to focus on uh, the shrinking space for intellectual engagement. Mm-hmm. And as a teacher, uh, I would love to have more space for uh, reading uh, and reflecting and discussing ideas, debating ideas, not just with my friends, uh, uh, but also with my students and with uh, the society at large. And uh, person in the humanities and social sciences uh, should have that kind of an opportunity uh, on a day-to-day basis and that's how we thrive and the world is our uh, lab for uh, people in the sciences the laboratory could be their uh, uh, space of uh, reflection experimentation all that Uh, but for us the world is the lab and uh, this conversation is important right what we are having now we need to have many such conversations and unfortunately i think the administrative expectation from uh, teachers uh, is on the rise um, because of the structures that are uh, coming up across the world in terms of rankings and uh, assessments, accreditation and all that. And so uh, it puts a lot of pressure on us to compromise on our reading and reflecting and discussing and debating. So uh, that's one thing that uh, I wish uh, the people who are in the policy making positions uh, consider and uh, create more uh, space for uh, intellectual Production, knowledge production. Yeah. I think, you, you know, the challenge for me with speaking with you sometimes is that there are so many jumping off points and such economy of language that, you know, like say that the answer you just gave, okay. each of the points you made are so, are so valuable. I mean, administrative expectations, like you talked about, assessments mm-hmm. and, and ratings and rankings, that in itself mm-hmm. could be a full-fledged conversation, right? But yeah. since that's not, I, I honestly think we will have if you're open to it, many more episodes together. But um, would you mind, I'd be very, very pleased if we could do that, but would you mind offering a bit more detail into the administrative expectations and how those play out in the day-to-day? Okay. Whatever comfort level. uh, So the teacher today is not just uh, the one who goes into a class and uh, uh, delivers something, uh, elicits responses, and uh, creates a conducive atmosphere for uh, knowledge transaction. Uh, It's not just that, right? The teacher uh, is supposed to be a mentor, right? Uh, The teacher is expected to be an evaluator of answer sheets. The teacher uh, is expected to be uh, someone who keeps records about each student in terms of attendance, uh, and then also about their marks. The teacher is also expected to be a good colleague uh, because that collegiality is important for knowledge production, right? And uh, the teacher uh, is expected to be uh, at some level a disciplinarian uh, because when we work with huge numbers in a country like India, which is unavoidable, uh, uh, we need to uh, 
ensure that people coming from different backgrounds uh, do not uh, upset uh, the need for learning that is common for all right so uh, that is something that we we'll have to ensure and uh, likewise there are a series of roles and responsibilities that a teacher uh, tends to have and apart from that we need to be researchers and we need to produce knowledge it's not just about uh, drawing knowledge from one place and then transferring it to another place in a particular way we package it and deliver it and all it's not just that uh, we also need to produce knowledge and uh, for that uh, we need to have some amount of uh, reflection I, I don't know whether i could be a non teacher in any moment of my life right so i mean uh, uh, it is something that possesses us and uh, i mean i think my worldly perspective uh, is uh, shaped by the profession that i am in right and uh, which is good uh, which has its advantages but then uh, the multiple roles and responsibilities that we tend to have uh, sometimes are on a collision course uh, mm-hmm. and that is uh, something uh, that uh, suffocates us yeah so this is something that uh, not just uh, is felt at my level i mean I've, i've heard quite a few of my colleagues as well say that uh, but yeah uh, thankfully uh, there are uh, vacations uh, which are enabled for teachers uh, which uh, gives us some space for uh, uh, rebooting ourselves uh, energizing and coming back and all that and uh, i mean i'm i'm extremely thankful for the kind of students that we get because they tend to tell us that no your focus should be here go and prepare well and come all right so, uh, yeah that that is something uh, that uh, enthuses a lot so yeah no i think um the point you made about juggling so many responsibilities and i've seen it myself when i was adjunct faculty uh, visiting the department the sort of things you were doing moving from a lecture to attending an event and then sorting out some administrative duties holding a board of studies meeting and cal newport in this book called deep work right he talks about context switching and talks about uh, the amount of fatigue that can create just switching from one context to the other another thing he talks about is attention residue you know if you switch right. from say teaching suddenly to something else that your mind is still previously engaged in that task and in engaged in a previous task and it takes a while to switch but the rapidity at which you're supposed to switch can be True. quite draining right i think uh, there are a lot of challenges but now amid these challenges some teachers shine a bit brighter than the rest you know i mean all god's children might be created equal i don't believe that but but they don't end okay. up that way you know okay. um what then sets apart an effective teacher from an, firstly let's define what an effective teacher is so what according yeah. to you is an effective teacher and then we can talk about what sets them apart from someone who isn't perhaps as effective okay so uh, i mean a uh, foundation should be competence and if the teacher is not competent they should not be in a profession quite like an any other field mm-hmm. and so competence is something that uh, one should be assured of and uh, the second thing is uh, uh, care and concern for the student a genuine care and concern for the learner in the class uh, because if that connect is not established i don't think students will be able to value uh, what is being uh, done in that process of uh, the teacher learner uh, engagement right so uh, that should be there and the quest for uh, knowledge uh, the thirst for learning uh, should be another important uh, aspect and mm-hmm. apart from that uh, an effective uh, teacher should also be a performer at some level uh, i i i understand that um, uh, if i am uh, going to uh, present things uh, in a way where uh, it's going to uh, just convey the content uh, 
in a very uh, bare minimum form, uh, it's not going to uh, connect with the student. So I need to know how to uh, narrativize what I'm to offer uh, uh, in a way where it connects with them. Like I need to know them well. So if I don't know my learner in the class, and I don't think uh, whatever I have uh, can connect with them. So I need to understand their worldviews, their challenges, uh, their biases, prejudices, aspirations, uh, and uh, what kind of popular culture they engage with. And when I then take my uh, um, content to the class, there is a richer engagement. So uh, that's something that is very important for an effective teacher. Yeah, yeah and I think that care and compassion is, is, is valuable, valuable. Uh, metric, but the competence you talk about, I think even more so. I feel like yeah. today, the generation from what I could tell from the class as well, as long as you knew what you were doing and you knew what you were trying to achieve, hmm. they were okay if you weren't that likable. But the flip That's side, nice. they're okay if you're not that likable or, you know, as long as your expertise is proven. Because a lot of times, yeah, I think, you know, apprenticeship are where your mentor is perhaps not very compassionate. Uh, not very considerate, but very compassionate. And compassion right. sometimes involves instances of not being nice. Thing you know. But now you talked about competence. Could you define for me in the context of teaching? Because sometimes teachers would come with a PhD in advertising and no experience in advertising agency, whereas others will come with extensive experience in advertising, but not enough understanding of how to actually deliver knowledge. So, on a broader level, what would competence constitute? For a teacher, okay. okay. So I probably I could go back to my own uh, early days in uh, teaching context, and maybe that might uh, help me to uh, answer this uh, at some level. Uh, I was fresh out of college, and uh, I had no idea with regard how to teach. Though my father was a teacher and my mother was a teacher, uh, you can't learn teaching by watching teachers, right? I mean, unless. Uh, uh, you have also practiced at some level on the other, right? So uh, I walked into my first uh, class and I was uh, trying to uh, connect with them for the 10, 15 minutes with something uh, I had prepared uh, and all that. See, in fact, uh, by the way, uh, the day I got my interview uh, was the day I was asked to teach. So uh, I didn't expect that to happen that way. And so uh, 10 o'clock or something, my so 10.30 or something, my interview got over and 11 o'clock I was asked to go and engage with the class. Uh, because the context was that way. I mean, a teacher right. uh, had left and I had come in to uh, replace that teacher. And so the context was that way. And so um, when I walked into the class, after 15 minutes, I was uh, feeling so vacuous. I had nothing more to convey. And uh, a bunch of uh, second year students can sense uh, incompetence. They can also sense uh, the nervousness, uh, the anxiety of a teacher. They can smell it, actually. And so uh, that was the context and uh, I was trying to hide it uh, despite uh, my inability in hiding it and all that. So it was a very awkward uh, kind of scenario. And uh, in the initial phase, I was not so good in communication. Uh, in the sense, when your content is low, you start to fill it up uh, with uh, oh, all that. That's one. And apart from that, uh, you also tend to be repetitive. These were things that were very common in my early days. And some of my uh, good students uh, just came and had a chat with me and they were very mockingly uh, dropping hints that, uh, you know, this is how you speak in class and all that. And uh, it was very kind of them uh, to give that feedback, uh, uh, though uh, it, it was not pleasant to hear, uh, it, it was the case. 
And I went back uh, to uh, work upon it. And the next year, I offered a course on public speaking, primarily to ensure that I could master public speaking. And uh, th that helped me uh, to uh, converse with a lot more clarity. So if I'm lacking content, probably I need to space it. I mean, uh, my delivery pace could be slowed down. And I need to organize my thoughts before going to class. So there were a few such things that I learned. And uh, I also understood that teaching is a form of performance. And uh, so knowledge, uh, having knowledge is one thing, but uh, uh, knowing how to deliver it, uh, as you were also referring to a while ago, uh, is important. And establishing the correct with the student, all of those things matter. And also, uh, a good teacher should not stop with delivering content. A good teacher should ensure the learning of the learner. And that's where uh, a good teacher's success lies. And so, uh, over the years, I've uh, learned by uh, trial and error uh, that this is how it works. Uh, for a school teacher, we do have the BEAT mechanism where they introduce uh, the uh, aspirants, teaching aspirants to uh, get to know the educational psychology. There are some amount of demonstrations, uh, uh, activities, all that, which empower them to get into teaching with a little more ease. But unfortunately, at the college level, the supposition that if they have knowledge, they can readily move into that space uh, seems to still operate. Uh, yeah, so uh, right. the uh, first few years were one of... Uh, some amount of anxiety and uh, awkwardness but yeah uh, since we had an openness to learn and uh, build ourselves it has helped yeah it gets better with time yeah i think with any skill as, as you practice you get better and True. it's just unfortunate in some cases if the first batch you teaches a set of final years and they only see that version of you right and then that's what yeah, they walk yeah. away with yeah yeah, yeah yeah but now you know we've talked about the challenges teachers face mostly from you know top down administrative expectations, and then also the outside world. Mm -hmm. But let's talk about that, that very intimate relationship in the class, which is mm -hmm. students, right? And then, you know, this is an opportunity. We ask for so much feedback from uh, students about teachers, right? Given the current system mm -hmm. of customer satisfaction, I think students yeah, have yeah. graduated from being students to paying customers. Mm -hmm. That's become uh, a transition. They're consumers now. Mm -hmm. um, but what are they primary issues your own or that you've faced uh you know helped other teachers work through what are the primary issues teachers have with students or particular students what are the most obvious obstacles they tend to have okay so uh one is indifference uh that's something that hurts any teacher i mean uh, uh, you've come prepared to the class and we suppose that uh, they have made the choice to be in the class uh, uh, on their own and not because of someone else deciding for them as in mm -hmm. case of parents telling you must do this so that you will thrive and all that and we hope that our students have made the choice on their own and uh, when they come into the class we uh, expect some amount of uh, interest in that process of learning and if that is compromised uh, then um, it obviously affects uh, our performance I mean uh, uh, if uh, we are having this conversation uh, the nodding uh, helps me uh, to Go ahead, right? So right. your eye contact helps me to go ahead. And when that is missing, uh, that could uh, infuriate a teacher. So uh, this is one thing, uh, at, at least uh, for me, uh, this is a matter of concern. So I will drop him stating that uh, you need to probably come back on track and all that. Uh, but uh, some people uh, might uh, have uh, lost that connect. So uh, in the initial years, uh, this was something that was very upsetting uh, for me. Uh, in the later years, I also realized that they would have their own context. And mm -hmm. I'm seeing it from my context, but they could also have uh, their context. And if it's a regular habit uh, coming from uh, one person, uh, uh, 
I try to call them out uh, and uh, talk to them and find out what is the uh, problem that seems to be uh, in their case and all that. And also a classroom is a space where you encounter a variety of personalities. There are people uh, who could be very restless and uh, not necessarily because they want to upset the class, but that, that's it uh, in nature. I mean, uh, uh, so uh, my son, by the way, is someone who is very, very restless. And mm -hmm. so uh, there are people of that kind. So we need to work out mechanisms for engaging them in a positive way. So probably asking them questions, using them as an example for uh, saying something. And so right. uh, for a period of time, we learn to work with uh, these set of uh, things. Uh, but yeah, so indifference is one thing uh, that uh, upsets us. And also uh, people uh, who become a disruptive force in the class. Uh, mm -hmm. So when they uh, tend to chat, uh, when they tend to do other things and also distract their uh, classmates. So these are things uh, that are uh, bound to upset us. And uh, uh, some students don't uh, uh, move towards uh, uh, realizing the potential. Uh, they're okay uh, with a very... Uh, low-key performance so uh, that's another thing uh, and uh, we know uh, the kind of potential uh, that they have but uh, some of them settle for uh, very well, yes, uh, yeah yeah so mediocre uh, kind of a performance so uh, those are things that uh, try uh, that ups upset us at some level uh, yeah yeah i thought one thing you said that stood out was every student is different and it made me realize in a way and not realize but notice that you know, teachers typically catering to 60, 70 personalities at a time, mm. but all 70 other students are focusing on one personality. Mm. So there's clearly an instant uh, shift in the approach of you know, one person is a one too many and the other ones are focusing on one. And mm. you know, the use of the word infuriate was interesting when mm. the indifference, because I feel that what indifference in signals is invalidation. Mm. And invalidation is uh, very, very distressing for a human being. And our reaction with that, when you had invalidation to an authority figure, infuriation mm -hmm. tends to be the inevitable uh, reaction in some cases, yeah. right? Yeah. But I do want to ask you to work with the idea of mediocrity, people settling. Mm -hmm. What are classrooms geared towards? Are they geared towards the lowest common denominator and dragging the entire class to a mean? Or is mm -hmm. it geared towards the exceptional learner who will then pull these supposedly mediocre people mm. beyond their capability. What mm. in the real context is the actual system geared towards? Well, that's a brilliant question. In fact, I wish uh, all the teachers in the world are asked this question and they try to discover their own answers for it. Um, uh, yes, uh, by choice, I, 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 I tend to prioritize the concerns of the lowest common denominator uh, because uh, the advanced learners will figure out uh, regardless of whether there is support coming in from a teacher like me or not. Uh, but then the lowest common denominator needs uh, the teacher, right? So I need to ensure that uh, they tend to travel from point A to B uh, with a little more uh, confidence, with a little more uh, uh, clarity and uh, with a little more uh, betterment, right? So that's something that I would like to work upon. Having said that, uh, I shouldn't ignore the advanced learners. They can be positively engaged in a way where uh, the kind of knowledge that they bring to the class could be used for bettering uh, the discussions and conversations within the class. So that's something that needs to be uh, uh, See, uh, I see the teacher as uh, someone uh, who is uh, running an orchestra. I mean, it's almost like a symphony. If, if you know uh, our students well, uh, we can uh, use uh, their strengths quite well and uh, ensure mm -hmm. that uh, the best of uh, what is available is used for creating a synergetic uh, 
symphony sort of uh, performance that is possible and in some classes uh, they lend themselves for such a uh, moment uh, in some classes it could be a challenge of course uh, so uh, as a teacher i also tell myself that if i'm blaming my student then i don't think uh, i have raised my teacherly quality so uh, we need to find out ways of uh, engaging with them and trying to uh, make uh, learning an enjoyable and an enriching process so yeah i think that's important especially because you know it's doing a psychology course and we we're talking about adhd at one point and i don't know why it irks me but you know we talk about uh, frequently i'm sure you've heard this attention spans are shrinking because of smartphones mm-hmm. firstly attention spans have always been crap uh, with mm-hmm. newspapers i remember being a distracted child before there were mm-hmm. smartphones mm-hmm. also the same child who's distracted in class is watching 3 hours of netflix after going home oh absolutely absolutely so you know i think the first question i would ask when someone tells me that my child is not paying attention in class and i'm at an age now where some of my friends have children and mm-hmm. we talk about nice the first thing you want to do is check whether the teacher is boring mm-hmm. you know yeah. and i think yeah. uh, like you said a part about com- i i i love that you talked about the importance of a teacher being a performer Mm-hmm. especially because the mind is not distinguishing whether you're watching a stand up show on Netflix or you're in classroom watching a teacher right. i can't suddenly switch off from you know watching say a dave chapel or a seinfeld on stage and then watch someone on in in the stage at college uh, perhaps yes. delivering a monotonous lecture so i think yeah it's very valuable you talked about the idea of being a performer as well yeah if i could just add one more point uh, in that regard uh, not everybody uh, chooses to be a performer let's say uh, there are uh, mm-hmm. colleagues of mine uh, who are greatly knowledgeable and uh, they have a lot to offer and they are generally concerned about uh, students but uh, they may not uh, want to indulge in a kind of a performative uh, act uh, and uh, they believe that uh, knowledge uh, uh, should be done in a different way and uh, they perhaps uh, try to uh, focus more of the energy into the process of uh, reflecting over the content and all that mm-hmm. so uh, there is this challenge about are we dealing with the important ones uh, or uh, should we make the important interesting and all that i think there is also a burden that students to uh, students should take uh, that uh, regardless whether it's uh, uh, exciting interesting and all that uh, i have committed myself for learning and i should come for that and they should place trust in that because uh, obviously uh, i can't match the kind of excitement that a rock orchestra could give for a rock <laughs> orchestra fan right so True. Uh, and uh, you know the impact of popular culture today popular culture tends to not just uh, parent them uh, it also teaches them uh, uh, many many things which parents and teachers uh, would fail to do yeah so uh, we can take the root of popular culture at some level but to uh, expect us uh, to be uh, like uh, lionel messi or uh, uh Paul McCartney or any of those things is uh, uh not a good thing and so we try to impress upon our students that uh, they should own their learning process mm-hmm. and it should not be a teacher driven process throughout so uh, that uh, quest for learning should be coming from students end and teachers can be helping them in that journey yeah yeah no i think that makes sense and you know i've met so many people um at the department students as well who've gone on to do a masters who've gone to do a phd and they almost become uh, allies of the department not just mm-hmm. students anymore right true, what true. sets what sets these students apart from the ones who don't make it what is what are the qualities that set them apart and i don't think it's just a question of uh, 
sucking up or polishing apples. I think there's a misconception that every student who is liked is probably yeah. being a sycophant. I don't think that's the case. So sure. what are some of the other qualities? It, it is obviously useful to be a sycophant in the systems we're in. Right. But besides that, what do you think stands out about effective students? So one, one, one a differentiating factor is uh, being a self-driven learner. Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, they do have this quest for uh, learning. And so they take ownership of their own learning process and they use the opportunities that come along. Teacher is a kind of an opportunity to aid the person to uh, travel further. The library is one such opportunity. Uh, the MOOC courses are uh, many uh, are offering many such opportunities. Right. So uh, the world is a space to learn. I mean, uh, the textbook is not the only thing to learn or the teacher is not the only route to uh, access learning and there are many many other sources of learning so people who have taken charge of their own learning context and are able to uh, uh, connect the dots from different ends and not necessarily in the area that they would like to uh, specialize tend to thrive and I've also seen that these people are very open to uh, explore a variety of learning opportunities uh, I've seen students uh, who have gone into the NCC who are part of the core uh, during the lunch break uh, then uh, they tend to uh, do uh, plays along with their, uh, I mean, uh, theater performances along with their own classmates and uh, end up topping the class. I am uh, completely amazed uh, looking at the amount of energy that they have and uh, mm-hmm. uh, the amount of uh, meaningful, productive uh, work that they uh, come up with and how they are able to add quality to all those spaces. Uh, mm-hmm. That's something that's very baffling. And I wish uh, I could have half the energy of some of our uh, students. And so, yeah, so those are uh, some of the uh, crucial differentiating factors. And they also are collaborative learners, not just independent learners. They're also collaborative learners. So uh, they learn, see, theater, for instance, enables that, right? So uh, they interact with uh, people and they uh, learn to work in an environment where uh, they understand the limitations of other people, strengths of other people, and uh, uh, work out an ecosystem that helps many to thrive. So uh, these are... Uh, from my reading, at least, uh, some of the crucial differentiating factors. Yeah, I think I think those are, and, and, and the sheer energy you talk about, I, I see so many young people, especially students now, and from Christ, because mm-hmm. I work with some of them now, you know, my right. comics is a podcast, so uh, the right. amount of energy they have is, is incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, let's say I'm a student who wants to be this kind of person. I'm not, I know I'm not right now, uh, mm-hmm. but I want to be this sort of person. What would you say a couple of things I could do to be more self-driven or take charge? Uh, it's a difficult question to answer because I see you to be a person uh, who is an embodiment of all that. Yeah. I mean, uh, oh, yeah. Oh, so I, I, oh, yeah. I, I don't mean me specifically. Sorry. I meant like okay. there is, hypothetically speaking, a student who doesn't have that. Yeah, okay, yeah. who doesn't have that. Okay. Yeah, so one thing is... Uh, but thank you. Okay, okay, okay. So uh, one thing is that uh, our uh, university, for that matter... Uh, does ensure that such learning opportunities are provided for the students. So it's very deliberate that uh, these spaces are designed to uh, help the student to go out and explore a lot of art uh, in their university uh, uh, three-year phase or two-year uh, PG phase. So uh, they encourage students to be part of Darpan, which is a very uh, important uh, fest. Uh, a lot of students get into theater. Uh, some of them get into dance teams. The university has almost 30 plus uh, dance teams and these are very very important uh, learning uh, opportunities see we uh, last year many of uh, the people were wondering uh, what of education is taken completely in the online mode uh, 
Uh, yes, it would have certain kinds of advantages for uh, self-driven learners, and uh, of course, uh, uh, the speed of learning and other such things uh, are more enabling uh, over there. That's there, but then the socialization that uh, regular university offers, uh, the space for socialization that it offers, uh, has a phenomenal uh, role to play in how their worldviews are shaped, how uh, their lives are shaped. And uh, in fact, I have as well thrived as a student uh, because those opportunities were there. And Christ, uh, as an institution, is very consciously uh, trying to promote those kind of spaces. So you would find that the energy is very high uh, in the evenings when you come into our campus. I've you seen see that, people yeah. playing, uh, dancing, uh, practicing for theater, and all that. So uh, that keeps them positively engaged, uh, and also they acquire some kind of a new skill. They learn to collaborate with people. So it, it, in fact. Uh, when we are talking about shrinking uh, spaces for diverse thinking and uh, practice, uh, universities happen to be the last uh, bastions for this kind of diversity to be uh, realized uh, and owned. Oh, absolutely. I think, yeah. yeah, having that safe space, I guess, yeah, so I guess what you're saying is curiosity and open mind, a willingness to engage. I think that's why I took yeah, away from yeah, that. Yeah. Most, yeah. if you can be curious and willing to engage, that is a great foundation. True. And then be willing to explore what happens after that. I think mm -hmm. that's great, especially in a place like Christ. And that's what I want to get to, right? So now with my, uh, with my marks, uh, there's no mm -hmm. chance I would have gotten into Christ myself um, <laughs> because I didn't engage with the system at all at that point. You know? But you um, came in as a teacher. Um, I mean, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because I've never, I've never questioned my intellectual ability in terms of curiosity. I've always yeah. questioned my desire to conform. And I think, unfortunately, in India, a lot of intellectual assessments are based on the ability to conform as well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, mm -hmm. I do think it's a valuable indication of uh, mm -hmm. diligence, steadfastness, focus, marks. I don't think I'm not on that anti-marks brigade. I mm -hmm. think it does take a certain amount of hard work to get good marks. Um, mm -hmm. um, at the same time, there is that risk of devaluing other aspects of people's intelligence as a result of a focus on marks, right? And I know Christ has fairly high cutoffs for a lot of the courses. Mm -hmm. So, and it's an aspirational university. So I completely understand the need to set that elite benchmark. Uh, I would uh, beg to differ uh, here, uh, Adarsh. Okay. At least in humanities and social, I may not be aware of, I, I, I don't know how it operates in the other uh, schools because I haven't uh, checked that closely. But in the humanities and social sciences, at least, uh, mm -hmm. we are conscious that uh, our students should have a variety of uh, other qualities to qualify. For instance, okay. uh, in the interview process, marks is one part of it. Uh, then we also look at academic, actually uh, more than marks, we look at academic consistency. For example, right. uh, is there a kind of consistent growth that the person is showing? Even if it's not growth, at least uh, there is this uh, scale that suddenly some people dip and suddenly there's a rise that okay. uh, reflects a kind of uh, uh, some sort of a problem with that uh, person, right? So it doesn't give us the confidence that the person is uh, someone who walk into a class. That's one. Uh, but we do uh, do an interview and take people. It's not just based on a mark. So the interview is a fairly uh, rigorous process when two people talk to the student and two uh, faculty coming from different disciplines so that there is a fairness in assessment. All mm -hmm. And we also look at uh, their social uh, values. So that is something that is part of the parameters by which we mark. And then... Uh, Likewise, I, I'm sorry, I'm not able to recall, but uh, these, are actually, yeah. these are in addition to the marks, is it? So yes, are... yes, yes. And okay. so when I say marks as well, it is in terms of academic consistency. So they should be academically stable. That's something that we definitely look forward to. So oh, we wouldn't uh, take a student uh, who is uh, very uh, weak in the subject and still asking for a seat in that. So that doesn't work. Uh, 
but yeah so they need to have an aptitude for that particular subject that they are uh, wanting to get into and uh, apart from that the academic consistency is something that we look into okay so if someone say came in and uh, say for an english literature course or journalism course and had consistently consistently low scores in say math and science but throughout demonstrates an aptitude for english and history and social sciences then that would still qualify them for an oh, yes absolutely absolutely exceptional uh, so, okay yeah because if if they are not getting into a, a course where there is science uh, as an integral part or as a, say max as an integral part uh, then uh, their low scores in science and max will not have any role to play there okay great great so less role to play there because uh, i mean uh, yeah there are also teachers coming from different backgrounds so by and large this how uh, it operates yeah understood so for you say there's someone who wants to break into a, you know get admission to a course at the media studies department right uh, mm-hmm. aspiring 12 standard students who want to do this what are some of the things you'd urge them to do before applying okay. thank you for asking that in fact uh, uh, students ought to know what are the expectations uh, from our end right so yeah. uh, one is of course uh, their reading culture mm-hmm. so we do expect our students to be uh, having a very fine reading habit Uh, when i say reading habit it should be beyond the textbook uh, because uh, they shouldn't be uh, saying that i have uh, read this book uh, textbook uh, twice thrice and all that and in fact uh, we are not concerned about how much they read uh, we are more concerned about how well they read mm-hmm. and that's uh, crucial right so uh, are they re- reflective learners i mean uh, when they're just out of college school uh, they may not be able to qualify all of the expectations that we have but we at least try to see that whether they have a love for learning so that's something that we try to uh, uh, figure out and what is their sense of the world are they people uh, who haven't explored the world uh, are, are they people uh, who are open to go out and explore the world uh, it, it could be reflected uh, in the way uh, they reflect upon some social issue so we'll present uh, some of the political context social context and ask them to uh, uh, share their reflections on that so we get to see that these are people uh, who uh, seem to have played the role of a citizen at some level or the other um, mm-hmm. they seem to have positions of their own they are able to think on their own so these are things that we look into right and uh, apart from that uh, as i was mentioning the academic stability does matter and uh, we also ask them whether they have a portfolio or something of that kind uh, to say uh, to tell us that uh, uh, yeah these are uh, the things that i have done in the field and i uh, i have more interest and uh, my work can show for that uh, speak for that so mm-hmm. uh, if they are photographer uh, if if they if they are uh, having a love for photography can they show some of their photos if they are interested in writing can they show some of their work if they're interested in films uh, a short film link or something so likewise uh, these are things uh, that uh, we seek from our students uh, to coach them well and then uh, decide upon decide upon whether we could give them a slot uh, yeah <coughs> so no worries like some water yeah oh, great i think that's such a useful answer it's, and i don't think it's just for university right i think now going back to your first point about a high level of learnability demonstrating those things are just important even for places like work or yeah. uh, any sort of collaboration i think it's really useful to be that sort of person so thank you that's really a comprehensive answer i want to come to a part where you know uh, we move a bit from the objective aspects of education to your subjective view of a certain um mm-hmm. context now in we are in a social crisis there's no walking away from that right mm-hmm. i mean mm-hmm. i you know at the risk of uh, m- making obtuse statements which i don't think we should um our current environment in india does not engage expression does not engage freedom of thought 
engage a subscription to a very set way of thinking, whatever that thinking might be. And I'm not mm-hmm. making labels about whether it's right or wrong, because honestly, I don't have the resources or the, or the knowledge to make that statement. In that context, can the integrity of education survive? Okay, given the challenging context that we have, can the integrity of uh, education survive? Okay, so probably we might also have to trace uh, how education has uh, taken new twists and turns in the past few uh, decades or probably, uh, yeah, maybe in the past 50 years or so. Uh, There is an intensification of education uh, that has happened. So everybody, uh, more people are getting into education and uh, People who are into education are seeking more out of education. So that intensification of education is something that is pretty evident, right? And alongside, there is a commercialization of education, mm-hmm. wherein uh, people see it in terms of uh, what kind of uh, re- returns can I get out of uh, the education that I'm getting. In fact, uh, one of our uh, colleagues from uh, uh, one of the, uh, from the uh, school of philosophy was telling us that one student. Uh, called uh, the particular father and asked uh, may I have an appointment with you I would like to take up this philosophy course and uh, I need some guidance can I meet you and the father was excited because uh, there was somebody who was curious and uh, were asking almost six months in advance about uh, this particular uh, program that you could register for and so uh, father asked the person to come the first question uh, that boy uh, asked to the uh, professor was uh, uh, what are the job prospects Right. From a course like philosophy, right? So that's the mindset, uh, and uh, this is uh, in itself uh, challenging. So, uh, uh, given these kind of uh, contexts, uh, uh, I'm not sure whether uh, education uh, can be a kind of a solution to the uh, social, political, and cultural challenges that we are facing. It could perhaps uh, enhance, uh, I mean, uh, maybe. Uh, worsen the problem uh, in some ways because uh, it could produce people who are more conformist, uh, people who mm-hmm. are passive, uh, it could produce people uh, who uh, tend to, uh, let's say, uh, stay politically indifferent and all that, right? So uh, th- these, these are problems. And in fact, I would like to invoke uh, Howard uh, Zinn over here, a uh, fascinating uh, thinker. And he used to, uh, he had come up with a book titled uh, uh, you can't be neutral on a moving train. Nice. Okay. Yeah, so uh, meaning uh, that uh, the world is moving in a particular direction, uh, that, uh, that there are wars, there are people uh, who are hungry, and there are people uh, who are systematically oppressed. And in such a context, choosing to be apolitical uh, would also mean aligning with uh, uh, the dominant discourse of our times. Right. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so uh, there are problems of these kinds, and education's capacity to counter all of those challenges um, is shrinking. Uh, it's not to say that uh, uh, there are no uh, uh, voices of clarity and voices of reason and voices of uh, uh, hope within the educational context that they are there, but uh, I think uh, they are being drowned uh, with the uh, kind of ways in which the ecosystem of education itself is designed. So it's, it's a hard uh, call, yeah. Yeah, I think it is, it is a tough battle and, and it is an uphill battle. Especially now, you know, uh, this might seem digressive, but bear with me. I, I, I promise I'm making a point. Look at startup valuations, right, um, which are built on such 
abstract foundations in so many cases, right? You have mm-hmm. companies which are no longer profitable, uh, not even mm-hmm. intending to be profitable, that get billion-dollar valuations, and which mm-hmm. companies like Uber will state that we might not ever be profitable. Yeah. And what does that do to someone starting a BBA, you know, which mm-hmm. who's thinking of uh, uh, building a business? Because the standard value of business tends to be, you know, you buy an apple, you polish an apple, you sell the apple at more than you bought the apple for because you polished it. So you value addition, right? Right. right. Um, but now it's become a case of shifting money, and that's a shift. Similarly, with education, you have these people um, who made three hundred million, two hundred million dollars, saying things like college is a waste of time in America. That's another problem, right? Now you and I are two in South Indians having a conversation. You know, work, one working for a common style educational system, having an anglicized conversation. So a lot of our mm-hmm. culture is influenced by these systems. And people say yeah. from the state saying college is a waste of time. You could learn yeah. things from YouTube and and upgrad or wherever else. Yeah. Uh, in in the face of that, as someone in the university system, mm-hmm. what is your response to people saying you don't need college? You could just go to YouTube. Okay, so uh, we need to admit that the world we are in, uh, thanks to the kind of media forces uh, uh, that are there, uh, people are trained to be more. Um, uh, narcissistic, voyeuristic, and thereby, uh, at some level, self-centered, right? So uh, that's a kind of world that is uh, getting uh, very firm approval. And uh, this means uh, a recipe for disaster. Uh, but that's not how uh, we are trained to think. We are trained to think that uh, this is a necessity. And uh, more and more people are made to believe that uh, you ought to be, uh, let's say, a Sachin Tendulkar or, uh, I mean, uh, or Elon Musk, or for the matter, uh, the uh, creme de la creme, right? So that's how uh, people have been made to uh, think. But then how about uh, the teeming millions who may not be uh, figuring in any of those contexts? Now, uh, there is uh, inequity in the way education itself is being accessed. And uh, in such a context, uh, we are not helping to produce a fair world. Uh, I mean, uh, the egalitarian world that... uh, you and I might aspire for uh, is uh, being systematically uh, denied. And that that is something that is really uh, worrisome. And it is in this context that we need to look at the online learning platforms and all that. Yes, uh, there is great explorations and uh, new knowledge is being produced and uh, it's growing in leaps and bounds and the self-driven learners would thrive, right? But uh, as they are thriving, uh, they're also forgetting uh, the world around them. So uh, uh, we, we might be able to uh, talk about uh, one uh, great success, but forget about so many aspirants who wanted to become a Sachin Tilker and terribly failed, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so uh, we, we might uh, hold one person uh, at the top and cherish them and celebrate them, but how about the rest? And this is not the way to conceptualize, uh, con- conceptualize a better world for tomorrow. So. Uh, there are serious uh, foundational problems out there uh, in the way in which it is conceptualized. And it's a business, obviously. It's not as though they are doing it uh, as a sense of service. I mean, uh, uh, there are very few platforms uh, which are offering knowledge uh, with a sense of service. Of course, Wikipedia, for that matter, uh, though it's uh, supplying a lot of basic information, uh, it's doing a terrific job uh, by making knowledge public, by making knowledge accessible. Right? Um, that, that's not the way in which many of the online platforms are functioning. And uh, there is an intensification of uh, comp- uh, educational uh, uh, wars, uh, competition uh, that's very much uh, there. 
but uh, i think uh, it would still uh, tilt uh, in favor of uh, regular institution at some level i mean they would be under tremendous stress uh, in the near future but uh, regular institutions can offer something that online institution may not be able to offer one is of course as we were talking about the socialization aspect which is so crucial for all humans because we are social beings right so uh, that see for example uh, i know uh, how my uh, students feel uh, when uh, they go and participate uh, uh, in a street theater performance uh, and you know how it is to go out and play football right mm-hmm. uh, with, with a team of uh, players uh, you know what it is uh, to go and watch uh, let's say uh, a dance performance uh, and you know how it is to uh, debate about an issue with the class with the teacher live you can do it online of course but the presence of being there and talking with people uh, breathing the same air uh, and uh, uh, letting those uh, ideas uh, float around it, it has a different feel to it and uh, uh, so yeah so the online place could thrive but uh, this uh, regular uh, conventional uh, legacy institutions would as well uh, be there it's not as that they would be removed uh, they will be there and they will stand for perhaps different worldviews at some level and they'll also overlap at some level that's bound to happen i think so i think also what's going to happen honestly is separating the wheat from the chaff i think the universities that are able to provide an environment a space that's representative of the collaboration you talk about the community mm-hmm. the experience i think those will thrive but mm-hmm. you know your uh, single building margin making sweatshops or the colleges i think mm-hmm. they'll they will struggle at some point because mm-hmm. the same people who have the monetary access for those places will have access to online mm-hmm. so i do believe uh, there is that um premium on providing quality experience i mean my university experience was in person and i wouldn't trade that for anything because the amount mm-hmm. of you know with frequently my corporate clients one thing they say is that our productivity has gone up our creativity mm-hmm. has gone down because casual sudden bit dipitous conversation is not happening now uh, okay you know they say that you know in prithvi when he was on the podcast uh, who's with kadabams mm-hmm. now he was talking about how a lot of the best ideas we had for indes would happen in that coffee between classes right whereas right. now even for small talk i have to make a schedule and i think so much synthesizing can happen it's wanting to consume mm-hmm. information but to synthesize i think you need conversation and i right. feel that's something online courses discussion forums just online discussion forums just do not add up to human conversation like this mm-hmm. conversation that you and i are having you know we've gone off the line of questioning but it's been uh, such a useful discovery um yeah. so by the way our, our relationship also started in the uh, offline mode right so i think that has exactly. uh, strengthened uh, the kind of conversation that we are having and so without it i don't think we might be able to have this kind of a deep engagement uh, well i agree completely I, i think so as well i'm a firm believer i'm not a classicist in any way i i do believe in uh, i mean i'm an expressive person with a pragmatic point of view and mm-hmm. purely from that pragmatic lens i feel the collaborative model is superior I mean I I have no uh, black and white there's no gray area for as far as I'm concerned I think mm-hmm. human contact is superior technology is an enabler but it's always mm-hmm. going to serve human beings it's never going to exceed human beings and people who believe right. that uh, are doing us a disservice in very firmly yeah. in my yeah. opinion you know so now you know we've talked so you we're going to say something you know i was just uh, reflecting about uh, what the ai is going to do because uh, you you know uh, the kind of challenges it's going to pose i mean uh, when i'm reading let's say uh something on kindle right uh, mm-hmm. it's uh, not just uh, tracking uh, uh, what i'm reading uh, what i'm reflecting on uh, it has a very good sense of it and what kind of text i'm reading 
and which one uh, am I underlining and uh, what are my uh, thoughts, uh, tastes. Uh, it, it gets uh, so much of data about me. It knows me probably the way in which I may not know myself, right? True. And so uh, when, when they are studying us, uh, how would studies be? Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, th- that's something uh, that uh, is uh, putting a lot of complex challenges to us. And so, um, yeah, I mean, uh, exciting times are ahead. So let's wait and watch. I agree. I agree. And I think the point you made about you know, people becoming voyeuristic, narcissistic, that also breeds a huge amount of insecurity. And mm-hmm. I think uh, we have to have a combination of being able to imbibe society and ignore society in a certain mm-hmm. balance. Um, you know, I think noting the fact that it's a collective consciousness, but the thing that's perceiving this collective consciousness isn't a single organism. I think there's this mm-hmm. constant shift we have to make between single player and multiplayer. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I, I feel like I talked to you for hours about this idea and I hope to have you back soon. But I do want to spend the last bits of this podcast talking about, you know, you specifically and, you know, mm-hmm. what is your vision? One thing that stuck with me throughout our conversation since I met you. I mean, it's been crazy to believe it's been almost seven years um, that we first spoke. And oh, is it? Is, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, actually, it has been seven years now since we wow. started speaking. My first okay. workshop was in 2014. So right. um, I want to think about what your vision is. Let's talk about that. What is your vision as a professional? And then also, what's your vision for an ideal life? Um, okay, I think uh, the way in which you have titled uh, your podcast platform sums it up. Uh, <laughs> we are on the same page, I guess, the maximum uh, project. So as a teacher, uh, I would love to uh, be a catalyst of catalysts. Um, I like because, uh, I mean, uh, teachers have the potential uh, to help people discover uh, their uh, talent and uh, uh, go and explore their potential uh, to uh, the optimum levels. And so uh, I see myself as a catalyst uh, because uh, teaching uh, is that sort of a profession. And uh, I would like to ensure that my students turn into catalysts who, mm. who want to further uh, enable others to thrive. So uh, that's how I see myself. And uh, that's a kind of a project that I would like to uh, live for. And I think that's what I'm living for. Yeah. And in terms of an ideal life outside of just profession, do you have any uh, anything you have to tick off your list or the kind of person you want to be? to think about in those last moments, assuming it's it's going to plan, that this has gone okay oh. for you to say this has gone well? Uh, I think completely I'm possessed by uh, this profession and I guess uh, um, my, my way of uh, ending my life, uh, I mean, if, if, if there was a choice, I would uh, prefer to uh, uh, be teaching while dying. And so, yeah, so, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, I don't know uh, whether, uh, I mean, uh, of course, uh, might, uh, it's not a, a good thought to have uh, considering how students would react but uh, I, mean, uh, I would feel great about uh, dying that way so uh, yeah so that's there uh, and yeah so uh, outside I mean outside teaching I think whatever I do tends to come back into my teacherly context uh, like uh, spending time with family for that matter or for the matter uh, playing cricket uh, or uh, reading something uh, all that becomes content for engagement uh, within the classroom space uh, and Incredible. Uh, debating. Uh, that's what humanities and social sciences uh, is about, right? So, uh, as I was mentioning to you a while ago, uh, uh, we need to invoke the human and humanities and uh, mm-hmm. stir up uh, the social and social sciences. And so, uh, the world is our lab. And so, we tend to uh, uh, 
consume everything from there and then deliver a feed off uh, and also a feed uh, that so yeah that that's how i see myself yeah that's great i think yeah humanity does force you to you know be a student of life right and then consequently Absolutely. share your knowledge of life yeah. 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 yeah so you know what keeps you motivated where do you find this energy to keep going uh one is of course the reading uh, the other is uh uh engagement with our students because uh, uh i may not have uh, acknowledged it uh, when i'm talking to students but uh, students are a great force uh, in fact the youthful energy that they bring into the class uh, is something that rubs on us and uh, it makes us feel as though we are still young at some level or the other at least we tend to think young uh, because we have that opportunity to uh, see things from their perspectives and it enables us to uh, travel in uh, different uh, uh, directions and uh, have that sense of adventure so uh, i think uh, these are some of the things of course and uh, yeah uh, being healthy is another important uh, factor and so uh, we we tend to address that at some level and that also gives us like when i go for a walk let's say uh, it becomes a good space to ideate uh, and uh, collect our thoughts organize our thoughts and so all that yeah so and also conversations like what we are having now and uh, they are uh, a huge influence i mean uh, that's when we become reflective uh, we start valuing relationships and yeah we grow uh, and we expand yeah Yeah. So I think connection is so important, motivation is so important, but you know, despite this drive, despite this view and commitment to your profession, it, there are good days and bad days, right? I mean, we we've, we've had the good fortune of uh, interacting on both those variations. So, yeah. what is a good day for you? Um a good day when uh, is uh, when I would be more productive, uh, when I set some targets and when I'm able to uh, uh, achieve that. Uh I'm a lazy bum on many occasions so uh I I would love to uh, be more organized and be more productive like for example you know how it is right so writing demands a lot of focus uh, and it does. Uh, deep engagement whereas reading is something that would keep you engaged but not necessarily uh, being cognitively uh, more rigorous right i mean mm-hmm. uh, the intensity of uh, engagement is more when you're writing right so i would like to uh, do that uh, Uh, so that's one and uh, so if i could uh, write more that's a great day for me and uh, were you also uh, asking me about a bad day uh, yeah yeah that was my next question but you're one step oh, ahead okay, uh, okay, so please okay. tell me uh, okay okay so a bad day would be uh, when i uh, uh, tend to uh, lose my um, sense of um, clarity uh, like for instance um, there are occasions uh, when um, i tend to become very judgmental and uh, um say i mean you you know our teaching and uh, uh, in the teaching learning context uh, the teacher um is an authority figure right mm-hmm. and you you didn't mention that right so there are some power transactions so uh, i should be conscious that uh, i am not uh, using it to my advantage uh, i should uh, try to be rational and uh, i should never uh, uh tend to put down the student uh, i have done that in the past and i'm i'm terribly sorry for what has happened but uh, i am as i'm aging i'm realizing that uh, i need to uh, never uh, uh, threaten a student's sense of uh, uh, 
self right so i i need to show respect so those are there but then in the heat of the moment there are occasions when i have compromised that and when i do that uh, it it uh, leads me to some kind of a soul searching uh, and uh, uh, there are good learning occasions but i've done the damage to somebody and so uh, it's a bad day that way understood i think yeah i think that level of self awareness is commendable but i do know what you're saying even though you know and you've learned um it's still there's a certain discomfort that sits with uh, accepting those parts of ourselves so sure. i completely identify with that um falling short of my own expectations tends to be a very very uh, distressing experience mm-hmm. yeah what is your message to people confused about paths to take ah okay so i was in that phase and i think i am in that phase in certain contexts of course uh, there are interlocking contexts out to which all of us belong and so in some of my contexts i am still confused uh, i tell myself uh, that uh, i should not be in search of uh, success uh, as long as my goal is uh, being happy uh, success is mine and in the sense uh, there is success in being happy so uh, look at where uh, you would get happy, uh, you would you would be uh, happy and then go for it and um often uh, many of my students for that matter are uh, confused about uh, whether to uh, choose what is right or what is uh, safe um, mm-hmm. my suggestion uh, in such context is uh, to uh, be bold and uh, go and uh, pursue uh, what is uh, right from their own perspective rather than choose something that is safe um, a lot of corporate jobs are a safe option because they pay you well but may not uh, necessarily uh, Uh, give you the comfort of uh, having a good night's sleep right um, uh, you know how comfortable would i be uh, with my own decision uh, if it's only about the paycheck uh, so mm-hmm. those sort of challenges do come up and my recommendation would be uh, be bold uh, uh, go and explore and it's okay to fail it's absolutely okay to uh, uh, fail and embrace that failure and uh, learn from the failure and go ahead so that's how i see it and that's how i have grown and uh, that's what i would suggest if people are Yeah. yeah i would also have asked you how do people figure out what makes them happy but i think that's a conversation for a separate time because it's yeah. unless you have a thing to hack that is able to answer that for everyone you know i think you answered it i mean uh, it's uh, for each one to discover i mean um, they can't be a single formula for uh, what's yeah. happiness for all and so for for sure uh, all of us have our own ways of uh, dealing with it but for me happiness is uh, being comfortable with my own uh, life and context and uh, mm-hmm. uh, being of value to the others and that's uh, what it means to me and uh, yeah i am comfortable with what i am and so yeah, yeah. i think uh, start by defining your values is what i took away from that i think start by defining i think who you want to be and then work out what day job you have to do to retain that desire yeah. to that yeah. identity i think uh, yeah. if you want to have integrity a lot of jobs are ruled out instantly anyway <laughs> so i think defining who you want to be is probably a good place to start true, true, true. okay so would you like people to reach out to you over email or any other way is that something you'd like people to do okay so uh, yeah thank you for asking that and uh, i guess uh, twitter is a good space to connect uh, okay I'm less active there but then uh, i do check and i do follow up uh, Uh, perhaps pk is my handle uh, okay. p r h a p s uh, p k uh, is my handle if somebody wants Excellent. to connect uh, they could reach out to me over there i do have an email uh, address that is not my official one uh, but uh, i tend to check that very uh, 
rarely. But, I probably uh, wouldn't recommend having that on anyway. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. so it's yeah, padma.beyond at gmail.com. So, yeah. Okay, done. I'll, I'll add that as well. Um, yet another member of a cancerous species on Earth. Is that the one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, that's uh, the one. That's the one. We, should have a, we should have a separate episode about that. But sure. listen, it's been such a good experience talking to you and thank you for making time um, and having that uh, open, transparent conversation. Thank you so much, Adarsh. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed uh, today's conversation. And as always, whenever I've interacted with you, uh, I feel energized and I feel that I'm traveling the right direction. So thank you so much for... Uh, having done this to me today. Thank you. I'm pleased and I hope you uh, uh, will be on soon again. Sure, sure. Excellent. Thanks so much. Hi, 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 hi. Thanks so much for listening to that conversation with Padma Kumar. I thought we'd covered so much ground and you know what? We found out so much about each other and so much that we like about each other throughout that conversation. You also had a moment to catch me speechless, which doesn't happen very often. So there we go. Right, if it's your first time to TMP, thanks so much for listening. Welcome to the fold. You know, our world is full of worry, but I want to see you win in any way you can that's special to you. So stick around and see what we've got to offer. There's a website, themaximumproject.com, an Instagram page at The Maximum Project. Follow me. It's going to be some fun. And a weekly newsletter, which I will be kicking off again soon as I can. Right. Have a fantastic, fantastic time wherever in the world you are. Lots of love. Stay inspired. Stay kind. Bye. Bye. Chats. Chats. Banter. Insights. Only on TMP. All so you can make the most of you. Let's, Let's get maximum. maximum.